Use a password manager. Use a password manager. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> For God's sake, use a password manager. You're listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast, episode 19, recorded Thursday, July 14th, 2016. In this episode of PHP Ugly, we talk about PHP 5.5 reaches end of life, SDPHP downtown meetup, the security vulnerability of target blank, many projects that use the bad practice of extract, PHP storm plugin idea vim gets an update, GitHub gets syntax highlighting for blade templates, Amazon's AWS buys Cloud9 Cloud IDE, new service for reading PHP internals called externals.io, running your Raspberry Pi with PHP. Let's get started. It's almost 11. Let's do the show. You want to do the show? It's late Thursday night. Do you know where your developers are? That just got really creepy really quick. Well, last week, Thomas came in perfectly. It's time to get ugly, but he totally dropped the ball this week. Yeah. He tends to do that. The Pokeball. Oh, yeah, we should make a Pokemon Go reference for the uh, kids. For the kids. It's all the, all the rage. Listening. I tell you. Also, also, many of the adults, my wife included. Hey, Eric. Hello, Thomas. Hello, John. Hey, John. How's everybody doing tonight? Oh, I'm in, in mourning a little bit. Why are we mourning? Well, PHP 5.5 is dead. It's end of life. It had yeah. to happen eventually. So does yeah. that mean I have to upgrade finally? Uh, you don't have to, but you should. It means now I'm several versions behind on my production servers, not just a version behind. Yeah. Yeah, the support officially ended on July 10th, um, and you know, the, a, a year before this, active support had had finished. Uh, but yeah, 5.5 is officially no longer even getting security patches. So, and, and since you're a big PHP 7 guy, I obviously know you're not really mourning this. Not really, no, not really mourning this at all. Except that it just goes to add even more security problems for potential bad installations of PHP, of which uh, I recently it, found out there are hundreds of thousands of problems. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Those people are upgrading even if, even if there were security patches. Yeah, well, there's a lot of shared hosts that were running 5.5 that would do automatic security patch updates, and they're going to end up having to force their user base to upgrade to 5.6, which still has you know, almost a year and a half of security support. And five six is it for the fives, right? That's it. That'll, I mean, unless the new naming schema starts rolling backwards, like the the Xbox One did, <laughs> we, we could we could just go go ahead and for PHP nine we could just hit reset and call it PHP six. <laughs> we need to fill that gap somehow. Yeah, <laughs> I got PHP six certified. Damn it! Lots of people did. So, how did uh, how was the meetup last night? It went well. Um, the The topic was actually a lot more engaging than I had given it credit for. The Travis, the guy who did the presentation, was talking about how he took on a what challenge. What was the topic? I'm getting there. How uh, uh, the, the the actual topic was multi tenancy uh, uh, development for for a Laravel application. So he was talking about how he, he took on the challenge of um, having a client base that uh, 
where they had multiple clients being served up by one application, but certain clients would want certain individuality or customization to their application, mainly around forms and how forms were, were displayed. So he, he took a Laravel app, and, and this approach is going to sound familiar to you, John, because we've done this in the past with uh, some other approaches that we've used. But he, he took, the, took a Laravel app, he redid the autoloader so that uh, if he if his application had um, a folder structure that included uh, like the client's name in this in this particular namespace, the application would always look in that namespace for controllers and views to override the base controller and views of the Laravel application or not not of the well, of of the default application, the core application, they call it the they called it core, which is funny. I thought was funny, but mm-hmm. so the core application was the default application that they they developed for as the service, and then certain clients would pay them to customize it. So the the way he did the autoloader and everything, it would go in there, and they could override views, they could override controllers, and it was just a it was a real interesting real world. Uh, talk and it's it was it was good it was just good to sit there and talk with them and see why he took certain approaches and you know things he could have done differently and I, I do like yeah. I do like doing that we like you said we've done it for another client but it becomes a, a pain in the butt when you actually try to make massive changes remembering you have to go into all of those different systems and change that code potentially or you start getting out of sync and much bigger issues at that point. So if you don't abstract it properly, it could lead to a lot of nightmares. Yeah, and he even touched on the fact that sometimes clients wanted uh, additional columns in the database and how they they were actually addressing that using... Um, I don't think I comprehended exactly how he was doing it, but they 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 used postgres and that's they were leveraging that json data type for customized fields for clients that's that's a good idea yeah i know we've uh, john and i have worked on a project in the past where we there was actually a dedicated table for customized uh entries but um yeah it it was interesting because the way he was explaining it is that the the tables all the tables stayed standard, and then each table had one column that was this attribute attributes column that they could they could throw the customized stuff for that table into. So it was it was good. Like I said, I, I used to not be a big fan of meetups where people were just talking about stuff they were working on, and I've over the last couple of years have grown to really enjoy them. Uh, it depends just, on how it's presented. If it's presented in like, hey, this, this is what I'm doing, not so interesting, but being able to take something that they've learned and possibly apply it to one of our projects, those are the types of uh, meetups that are interesting. Yeah, and you're always going to glean something out of, the, out of those talks. Mm-hmm. It, it, even if it's after the meetup and everybody's standing around just talking about what was just discussed. So. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping I get the same thing out of my next meetup, which I've, I've managed to make somewhat successful with a, uh, uh, a very 
clickbaity title. It's very clickbait, yes. <laughs> Let's hack a website. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'll be up That'll there be... to heckle you. Good, good. I'll need someone to, to cut me down to size. <laughs> I will not be there. I know. I refuse. You're having a baby. I am. I can't wait for it to come shooting out of... Wait, not out of me. Oh, jeez. I hope it doesn't come shooting out of anybody. <laughs> Damn, things are slippery. <laughs> I'm sure so, my wife does. Like, just go. <laughs> so, speaking of hacking websites, John posted uh, an interesting article. Yeah, this was very interesting and something I would not have thought about. Uh, we all use target equals underscore blank. At least I think we all do in uh, our HTML just to pop open links into a new window and never really thought about the the potential for vulnerability on your website with that but you're giving that page access to your window with window.opener mm-hmm. briefly you briefly give it access right right but no no it, it, it that window there. maintains access for the entirety yeah. of the session yeah so as long it's, as that window so even if you type in a new url by hand it will maintain access to whatever window opened it. Mm-hmm. So there are there are a couple ways to get around that and to basically close that vulnerability up. Putting rel equals no opener and no refer because Firefox does not support the no opener attribute there. And, and this, this is only a concern when you're doing a blank to another URL that you don't have control over. Right, which is why people use that underscore blank. They don't want you to leave their site, but they want to give you information, so they'll open it in another window. So yeah, and, it, and it could be theirs. several links down the line. So if, if you clicked a link to something else that you did have control over that linked to something else that you did have control over that linked to something else that you didn't have control over, then you know, you've, you've lost that control. Mm. So it's, it's really all links. I mean... From the description of, of really how to attack this vulnerability, it seems like something that browsers will need to address specifically. Um, because it's just it's so easy to, to manipulate this functionality. And there'll be a link in the show notes, but the example used in this person's article was using it to send you to a phishing site where they're trying to get access to like your Facebook credentials. And if you're not sure what's going on, you could end up giving people your username and password to different sites. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, you can, also, you can also inject JavaScript backwards, which could lead to some kind of man-in-the-middle attacks, which would mm-hmm. fish passwords out. Yeah. The one I like about the phishing one is they use Facebook, which I'm sure Facebook has the proper attributes in all their links, but if using that example, you click the link on there, you go to somebody else's site, they then make the original window, which was Facebook, go to a login page. You're probably not looking at the URL to make sure you're still on Facebook.com. To you, you something happened with Facebook, you got logged out, I'm logging back in right away. Mm-hmm. And if you're not using a password manager, LastPass or 1Password, you're probably just going to type it in and go. And Yeah, I, I've watched a lot of security stuff lately that basically said at the end of at the end of every episode use a password manager for god's sake use a password manager everyone <laughs> should be using a password manager 
this this episode wasn't about passwords. Use a password manager, though. You need to use password managers. I guess we just found the new sign-off to PHP Ugly. <laughs> use a password. Yeah, finally. There's, there's no reason not to use one. Yeah, I, I mean, people lose sight. Of, everybody thinks of a password manager as, oh, I can generate these super complex passwords and store them and not think about them. Yeah, that's one of the benefits. But also these password managers let you know whether or not you're signing into the site you think you're signing into. Because if you're not, it won't prompt you with those passwords. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see what will come of this. I mean, this is the kind of vulnerability I can see getting exploited in the same way that Heartbleed did or, or things like that, where there's just massive, easy-to-implement, you know, infections out there. I'm surprised this wasn't more well-known. I mean, it was brand-new news to me, you know, just a couple of days ago. Never I, say, heard I, I say it's probably brand-new news to ethical developers. I'm sure it's pretty well-known to the non-ethical. <laughs> right, Thomas? Uh, oddly <laughs> enough, I actually hadn't heard of this this use case before already. So, was the implication there that I'm not an ethical developer? <laughs> got, got strong strong ethics when it comes to development. So the sad part is, I read the article. I didn't test it to to find out for sure if it was really a vulnerability or not. So I could just be spouting out garbage at this point. You, you just somebody wrote a blog post, so obviously it must be true. Because <laughs> everything on the internet is true. <laughs> it's only it's only a vulnerability if you do it incorrectly. I mean, it's not a vulnerability in any individual provider of a service or language or anything like that. It's a vulnerability in if you use the A tag to to pop open a new window, then you're giving access backwards, and you need to know that. So it's it's a vulnerability of ignorance, basically. It's a, it's a vulnerability yeah. of browsers, though, wouldn't it be? I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't you consider that a vulnerability of the browser? Why? What what is the functional purpose for it to have that access? I think there was a time shortly after frames where people wanted to have keys that floated above a browser that you could click on a button and have the main window go to a location that you wanted it to. And it gave flexibility to certain behaviors that you could legitimately want. That's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm still considering it a browser vulnerability. So Chrome, Safari, you guys get out there and fix that, Firefox. Now, here's my next question. Is it just target equals underscore blank, or would it be target anything? It would have to be target anything. Because it that's would be open target... Yeah, anything that opens a new window is going to have the opener object. Right, so the uh, this article doesn't go quite as far as I would like it to at that point. Because it, it, it made it seem like it was just underscore blank. Right. Yeah, and I think target blank is the one people have gotten accustomed to using. Right. But I don't, I'd, I have to, I'd have to look. The behaviors, JavaScript, you know, doesn't function in what you would call a predictable or normal fashion. I wonder what the uh, WordPress plugins use because I know there's plugins out there that will mm. allow you to open external URLs automatically in a new window. Yeah, I bet they're not taking that into account. I think we could just assume they're using the wrong thing. <laughs> That's true. So I mean, on on the security side of things, um, there was there was a point earlier this week where someone pointed out that using extract get on the the global get variables is very dangerous 
and I shouldn't be used. I was shocked when I read this. It, it's not too much of a surprise. This came up in a Stack Overflow question, um, but then somebody on Reddit decided, well, I can just search GitHub and see how many people are using it, then we'll know how big of a deal it really is. And so they executed a search on GitHub, and GitHub returned uh, almost 900,000 projects that were using this functionality, which is very easily exploitable to enumerate your, your code and override server values and things like that. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that if you're, if you're using a lot of libraries pulled off of Git, you might want to do a check and see if it's using this incredibly vulnerable format. To be fair, this only works in the, the global namespace. Not really right. within a... Hopefully packages are properly classed, not using the global namespace, but I guess that could be... I could be thinking too nicely. <laughs> I think it's used mostly by people who couldn't use their globally scoped get and post variables after a certain version of PHP and decided they were going to force it to happen anyways. Uh, what was that called? Register globals. Yeah, register globals. I think. I think this. Was that it? Yeah, that, that was that it. That was it. Good old yeah. days. So I think. I think because register globals got deprecated rather quickly and people were doing a lot of development that relied on it, uh, then they just found this simple way of forcing it to happen again, even though the reason it was removed was incredible security issues. But who knows? I like the I like the examples shown in that article. Just a simple get request to your server, passing in underscore session or whatever, and all of a sudden you're affecting the person's session. Right. It's crazy. So, yeah, that's I think that's basically it for uh security on on this week's. Is that the, this week in PHP security? Yeah. Yeah, maybe I should we'll, we'll do that. We'll make a regular segment. We'll have No, let's not. Have some Jeopardy Jeopardy. <laughs> no, music. no regular segments. It's bad enough we're we're doing a regular podcast. PHP Storm did a update that a lot of Vim users have been anxiously awaiting for a very long time to their idea of Vim. Uh, I've been using these features now for about two months because I broke down and went ahead and linked the, their GitHub repo into my <laughs> PHP Storm just because I couldn't wait anymore. Really, which which of these features did you find most useful then? It's the surround, the whole surround, uh, yank surround, change surround. Really? For, I use, so that that's a Vim plugin. One of the Vim plugins that I felt like I could not live without. It's from uh, uh, what's his name, Tim Pope, I think, or he, he, the guy does like a zillion of like the best uh, Vim plugins. And this was one of his more popular ones, and I had gotten so. This is one of the plugins I told you I had gotten so accustomed to using. With my setup, that it hurt me when I tried to when I went to PHP Storm and didn't have it anymore. And I, I tried to I tried to fake it by creating live templates that did it for me um, and couldn't do it. But yeah, yeah, it's so essentially what this does what or what this uh, enables you to do is you can you can be on a word or a sentence or or you know whatever you can select with them. And um, say it's like uh, surrounded by double quotes, you want to make a single quote, you can do, uh, you know, a YN 
uh, Y enter double quote single quote and it changes the double quotes to single quote. It's it sounds goofy and it sounds like you know how often do you use that? But you actually use it more frequently than you think, it, and it's also very useful when um, you forget to put like a, a quote around something. You can like select a word and then wrap it into a quote all using your keyboard. So. It really sounds like something that people who use Vim a lot would do. It really is. And like I said, it's it's one of the more popular plugins in the Vim world for people who use use plugins. It reminds me of when, when the Mac had one button and PC had two buttons. And the Mac people would say, well, what do you need one button for? You just hold the... the what do you need two for? You, you just hold the one button down and then you're given a list of options... You can you can hit Y Control Q and then hit the button and then you're given a different list. Are, of options. are you talking about the mouse? When the yes. mouse had the one click, ah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. You know, I can just I can just uh, use my mouse to click to where I want to put a quote, and then I just put the quote there. And then you gotta reach for your mouse and move it to the other end and click and put the quote there. I know, uh, don't you know, I know how you guys some, work. Some call me, understand. some people call me a workaholic for using my mouse too much, but uh, I, I think it really helps with my flow. <laughs> you have no flow, man. That's you true. have no flow. GitHub announced some interesting news. I think it was today or yesterday. Again, not a big deal for people in general, but if you're into Laravel, um, GitHub now does uh, code highlighting for Blade templates, so that's I, that's kind of nice. Yeah, I think I think it's a testament to how popular Laravel's become because you know GitHub, as much as we use it for web development stuff, GitHub isn't web centric at all. GitHub is every coding language that you could want to have on there. So the fact that they're including a subset of a view template for a specific framework is somewhat telling of how popular that framework has become. I'm assuming somebody at GitHub uses Laravel and said, you know what? I want this. <laughs> <laughs> Probably exactly what happened. <laughs> I don't know if you remember a couple weeks, or not a couple weeks, a couple months ago, Thomas, who were, John and I were telling you about um, a presenter who presented downtown and her presentation was doing development in the cloud so mm -hmm. she had no nothing installed locally her id and everything was in, in the cloud and the id she was using at the time was cloud nine and yeah. it, it was one of the more popular ones i've used it in the past you know it, it's not well it's it is what it is it's it's a web-based id so it has a strength it has its weaknesses interesting thing happened this week Amazon Web Services purchased Cloud9. Really? That nice. means that your entire development environment from from your Git repo to your your servers hosting to your um, you know messaging IDE. service to your IDE, everything can be right there within the Amazon environment, within the Amazon cloud. You really have no need to go outside the cloud anymore for anything. That would have been nice for me this morning because uh, my development machine kernel panicked last night and I ended up spending six hours bringing it back up to a working state so that I could work today. Yeah. Well, that, and that's what I said. I mean, worst case scenario, you get a Chromebook, you get Cloud9, and you're up and running. So I'm going to 
it's going to be real interesting to see if they actually take this and start to integrate it with some of the web services that they have. or Because it, it already has integrations into like GitHub and Dropbox. So it'll be it'll be cool to see what they do with it. Yeah, I don't know about using Dropbox for anything I would do in development, but do you know what that uh, plugin does, Eric? The the Dropbox plugin? It's it, it just storage. It allows so it, it again you're all, you're all in the cloud here, so it ties to your Dropbox account, and mm-hmm. you can do your development there. So you just store your files there. Gotcha. I know every time I've tried doing that locally or on my machine, using Dropbox is just a pain in the butt. Yeah, we, we've we've talked about this before, about having Git repos in Dropbox, and you change branches, you do pools, and Dropbox just goes off the chain and spends the next two days trying to sync up all your, all your machines again. So here's an interesting uh, new tool for you guys. Go ahead and, and open this up and, and we work along with me on this one. Uh, externals.io. So I, I have it open. I checked it out. I don't understand the purpose of this. You don't care to explain it. So if you're on the ex- if you're on the PHP internals mailing list, then which, which is get, open to the public, everybody can open do open to the public. You get a flood of emails, mm-hmm. and it can be very hard to parse that alongside of your existing emails in your email client. Uh, so what this is, is this is just a simple web interface that shows all of the topics of conversation in the internals group and threads them. And if you log in, if you if you cr- log in with GitHub, then you can track which ones you've read, which ones you haven't read. And it, it's just a sort of a simple interface for people who are not involved in internals to at least see what internals is doing. You know they have mail clients that will group emails by threads as well, right? I do. I do. Okay. Yeah, but but the I I'm on the internals mailing list, and I very rarely look at the email because I have I have them automatically pushed into another folder, and unless I go look at it, I'm never going to notice it. So it's really just eating up space on my machine. Right. I mean, email on its own is not the most efficient way to do things. It's not really on your machine, though. It's probably in your you know, Google account. If, if, if you're doing anything like I do it, I agree. I do the same thing. I have a push to another folder, and occasionally I'll pop in there, especially if I see something happen on Twitter and they reference internals. I'll go over there and, and catch up on the thread. I, I think what I would like to have seen in here is maybe some sort of expanded search functionality would have been nice. I mean... My again, my Google inbox has pretty good search, but I don't know. I mean, I guess this is good if you don't particularly want to subscribe. It, maybe you don't want to share your email address with it, or you don't want to be part of the mailing list. Whatever, sure, but I don't know. It's and it's an is, ongoing project. This is just the first release of it that it was released this week. I think not even this week. I think two days ago, uh, and it is open source available for you to contribute your own changes to. So if you want to write a search system for it, you know, go ahead. It's, it's, uh, I don't need to. I, I got my uh, Gmail account. You get excited over the weirdest things. I, 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 I tell you, I'll, I, don't even start with I, me. I actually like this. <laughs> I actually like this. I interface. like this too. It's, it's got a nice interface for how long ago the most recent activity was. It's got, uh, okay. and it's got unique icons for each, developer who's contributing so that you can Ooh, tell just by quickly unique looking. Icons. I'm sorry, uh, I don't I, I, I this doesn't 
this excites me just about as much as your whole change log on the Laravel thing service was. I'm like, okay, it's nice, but yeah, whatever. Hey, I'm typically in the wrong here. Don't worry about it. Don't take offense. I just it amuses me <laughs> the things that excite you. It's it's not that I'm excited about it. It's You're excited. It's a, nice, it's a nice place to go and look at the interesting things that are going on in the Inturtles community. Or you could just go to your email client and do the exact same thing. Right, and start collecting hundreds of emails and sort through them in your client's own non-optimized yeah. way. I don't know. The, uh, the threading here is designed specifically for these discussions. So RFC votes will link to the RFC that's being voted on. Uh, you know, information that's not inherently in the email is being made available because it's hooking in to get... Oh, wipe that grin up. <laughs> <laughs> you guys give me a hard time about rambling on all the time. I can't, I can't give you a little payback. No. Actually, what I'm doing while you're talking is I'm pulling up my 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 inbox so I could do a comparison side by side to see see what they look like, and I'm, I don't know what to tell you. My inbox pretty much looks like this site. I I got I've got I, I'm seeing the threads. I see how many how many are in that thread. Uh, I I see which I can open up the thread and see which emails in that thread I've read and haven't read. So it actually looks pretty much exactly like the website. I don't, again, good job, Thomas. Good find. I appreciate your hard work. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I, tell you, I will tell you something that, that I worked on for al almost a day and a half, which was tracking down recursive FTP functionality. So now, it, is, is this FTP or SFTP? This is FTP, and if you if you go on PHP.net, and I don't think I knew FTP had the had recursive functionality. Yeah, that's the problem. It doesn't, right? Right. There is in the specification for FTP a flag that you can set that if the server supports it, it will give you the contents of a directory recursively when you list the contents of the directory right um but but it, but you can't get them that way but yeah but it turns out that every ftp server doesn't support this yeah uh iis does not support this apache ftp server uh, every in fact every ftp server i could find uh i looked into and could not find a single ftp server that actually supported this flag which was only in the rfc and the reason that it was an issue is because what I needed was recursive FTP listings. So I needed this, this actual functionality, but every time I set that flag, and let me see if I can find the exact... It's been years since I've done actual FTP. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I can't even tell you the last yeah. time I've done... And command line FTP on top of that? Forget about it. Forget about it! So FTP underscore raw list, which returns a detailed list of files in the given directory. So the third argument is recursive, true or false. And this is in the documentation. So I, I wondered, why would this be in the documentation if it's completely unsupported? I wonder why or, Thomas or, is using FTP. <laughs> uh, because I deal with large media files. 
on a daily basis. SFTP? SFTP yeah. has recursiveness. Well, FTP doesn't. <laughs> no, I think I think they should completely get rid of this, at least in the documentation. The documentation has the three arguments, this FTP streams directory and recursive true or false, which is completely misleading because nobody does recursive. Now, th- if you look at the actual C code for for this function, which I did, I pulled up the source code for this, and it does set the flag correctly. It does do the thing the RFC says you can do. It's just that nothing in the world actually responds to this. So that's my RFC. I'm going to issue an RFC to remove that argument from that function. Except yeah. the people on the on internals probably use it, and they <laughs> happen to have the one FTP server that has recursive functionality, so you'll be downvoted right away. I don't know. I, I can't manage my mail client well enough to read internals. <laughs> Yeah, to me, FTP is about one notch maybe above Telnet in in the sense that it's a protocol I would probably never use again, ever. Use Telnet all the time. I'd, I'd love to never use it again. I've thrown a very big fit about using it at my company. You were kidding, right, John? What? You use tel- Telnet? Yeah. No, I use it a lot. I don't use Telnet Daemon. I use the Telnet client. Oh, okay. All right. I know. I know where you're going with that. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. true. See, and I just got comfortable with the Gopher protocol. <laughs> Jeez. So I I stumbled across a fun article. Actually, I stumbled across two fun articles. Thomas, I thought you would appreciate this. John, you probably you, you can start zoning out now. As, See, I mean, we're 30 minutes think, into the, the podcast. You, you'll probably start zoning out anyways. Go ahead, I, 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 I'm I think it's hilarious that you find this interesting. Because this just sounds like the worst idea ever. I actually want to hear about this. I enjoy tinkering. I have quite a few Raspberry Pis. Uh, I don't have any Arduinos. Arduinos or what's the other Arduino. one? Arduinos. Arduino, yeah. I don't have any of those, but this week I stumbled across articles from both platforms that uh, had developed libraries to allow you to use PHP on them. To, to not not on them, you could always use them on them. Like you could always install a web server and PHP and let it run. This is to use PHP to control them. So it allows you to control like the input output uh, circuits that they have to do little things like. You know, blink lights and stuff like that. I just thought it was cool. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I haven't done it, haven't tried it, but I thought it was an interesting topic, and I thought maybe something you would be interested in. Apparently, I was wrong. Thought maybe I'm, Tom, maybe Tom wouldn't be a jerk about it. <laughs> I'm, I am super interested in Raspberry Pis. I just never bought one, and still haven't found a a thing I would use it for. I, I think that there's two types of people in the world. That there's the people who are interested in Raspberry Pis and have never bought one, and then there are people who are not interested in Raspberry Pis because they bought one. Oh, is that you? You you don't have any interest in them? That's that's me and like every geek friend I know has uh, a I Raspberry Pi in the closet that they use a couple times. Mine's right and here by my desk. I, I fire it up you, all do the you time. Use it? 
Yeah. I mean, I don't use it ongoing. This is my little testing while I'll try things out. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I still play with this thing. I, I, we do have a developer who set up his Raspberry Pi at home to be a VPN tunnel for him. So hmm. we have, uh, we have. He, uh, he also has it controlling his sprinkler system mm-hmm. in a very interesting, interesting way where it has sensors, uh, <clears throat> testing the groundwater or the water level in the ground to figure out whether you should turn on or off the sprinklers. Yeah. I mean, just, it does seem like a fun device. I just don't know what I would use it for. And I don't know if I want to spend the money to figure that out. Yeah. That's, that's my, I struggled to do, to come up like the really cool things to the, the coolest thing I did was I set it up for security where I bought a uh, camera for it. I installed some packages, did some configuration, and next thing you knew, I had a pretty good security camera. I was looking at actually using this for my home security and did the math, and every, everything once said and done, including the casing for the uh, camera, it was going to run about 100 to 120 bucks. And I really, of course, then I'm like, okay, well, I can go buy a you know, drop cam for 120 bucks, so I. Why would I build all these? But no, it, it's just a fun for me. Right, it's just fun to play with. It's learn on, try new things. I don't know. We, I enjoy it. We had another developer that had one that did uh, something very similar. Used it as a baby monitor. For, ah, good idea. But he did it for about a day until he found his kid with the cord wrapped around his neck. <laughs> oh, jeez. He's like, maybe I won't do that. <laughs> maybe I'll take this yeah. thing down. Yeah, I think they, maybe. They, when your baby monitor threatens the life of the baby, that's that's breaking one of Asimov's rules. You have to put yeah, the baby monitor down. Th- there's no way around it. It's like anything you do with the Raspberry Pi ultimately ends up looking janky as hell, you know? Well, didn't didn't don't you know somebody, John, that had set theirs up to control their Christmas lights? No. Yes you I don't did. Think so. Yeah, you did. I don't know. Does he use? I don't know if he uses a Raspberry Pi for that. Maybe he does. I, I thought I remember watching his uh, YouTube video from last year, and that's what he had used. Oh. I, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I thought I thought that was the case. But that that that's another very common thing that people use Raspberry Pis for: are uh, lighting and decorations. Yeah, I, I suppose my issue with this is just it seems like the wrong tool for the job. That development in Raspberry Pi seems like it would need something better at handling looping. Well, so so understanding the purpose of the Raspberry Pi to begin with it is that of a learning device. I don't think it, it could ever be considered you know, the wrong use case, as long as you're learning from it, but... Sure, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, yeah, no, you 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 couldn't build a product probably, or you probably shouldn't build a product using a Raspberry Pi in this PHP don't, library. Yeah, don't don't build something that say a baby's life depends on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah, no, I just thought it was an interesting topic. Sorry, it wasn't as I, cool as your internals mailing list. I thought it was an interesting topic. Well, thank you. John. I wanted to hear about it. Thank you, Jeff. See, I supported both of you. I get a gold star for this episode. You're such the good mom. I don't have a favorite. I love you both the same. I'm practicing. All right. Well, I'm I'm issuing some control over this podcast. I, I'm playing music in the is. background. Music playing right now. You can't hear it. Are you but playing it's there. me off? 
Yeah, playing you off. We're going to wrap it up. This is a productive, uh, productive show. There's a lot of PHP in it for some reason. I, I don't know. You think the show like had PHP in the title or something? It's horrible. I think we, I think we all panicked at the last minute when we realized we didn't have enough topics. Just started, started <laughs> yeah, trolling just missed, for PHP. Mr. Five Percent contributor had the only topics up there all week. You did. All right. Well, this has been another great show of PHP Ugly. You remember our sign-off? I thought I just did it. No, we have use a, a password a manager. Now. Use a password manager. <laughs> Damn it! For oh, God's dude. sake, use a password manager. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm John Conley. I'm Tom Rideout. Thank you for listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. PHP Ugly can be found on Twitter at PHP Ugly. You can also follow the host Tom Rideout on Twitter at Real Rideout. John Congdon on Twitter at John Congdon and myself Eric Van Johnson on Twitter at Shocum. That's spelled S-H-O-C-M Notes and links from this episode can be found on GitHub at github.com forward slash phpugly forward slash podcasts.